Hey guys, as you know, our world is going through an unprecedented time during the COVID-19 pandemic. To strike out this virus, we, as coaches, have partnered with Fred Hutch Research Institute, who is working on the front lines to stop the spread of COVID-19. Please consider donating to hashtag coaches versus COVID. And here's a word from Hutch. Your support for Fred Hutch is a strike against COVID-19 and a step toward a healthier world. Right now, Hutch scientists with expertise in infectious disease, immunology, public health, and data science are working urgently to speed up testing, track the spread of the virus in real time, and safely test new treatments and vaccines. Your contribution to Coaches vs. COVID will help expand this urgent work. Donate now at fredhutch.org slash coaches versus COVID. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today, we're talking with Alone Leishman, minor league pitching coach for the Seattle Mariners. Alone has an interesting background, being born and raised in Israel and then playing college baseball in the States. So we talk about his journey to the Mariners, which includes volunteer coaching in Cape Cod during his first summer after playing, we also get into what he learned as a bullpen coach in the World Baseball Classic, coaching with Jerry Weinstein. And we also dig into how we can better know our players and why that is vital to everything that we do as coaches. This episode is so good. And here is Alone Leishman. Alone, welcome to the show. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. And we are currently on two opposite sides of the world today. And you actually sent me a video of Solomon's backyard, basically, which I, I thought was pretty cool. And, and, you know, reading about Solomon in the Bible this week and, and Kings. And and so I thought that was pretty fitting. And that may be uh, God telling me that I need to get in the Bible more if he's sending me some signs like that. But but I loved getting that. And, and you also said you mentioned uh, that you won your community's home run derby, but you are a pitching coach. So that'll be an interesting thing. I guess you're a fan of pitchers hitting. So, uh, but all of that to say, but all, all of that to say, I, I loved, uh, getting to hear your story and, and I know that our listeners will as well, but, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know if you, I've, I'm giving you a heck of an intro. So just kind of walk us through how you got into the game of baseball. Yeah. Well, it's going to start off like, about the home run uh, derby, it wasn't really anything official, but uh, won it anyways. Um, 16 out of 30, 16 out of 30 swings, homers. But uh, yeah, uh, honestly, so uh, I grew up in Israel in a small kibbutz. A kibbutz is a, a small community, 250 people. Um and it was actually founded in 1974, refounded in 74, by uh, a group of American Jews that decided that Israel is the place they want to live in. And they thought that, that that's where the Jewish people should, should be. And they came a pretty big group of Americans to Israel and um, built this community. And in the 80s, uh, they decided to build a, a baseball field, a softball field, actually. So it was kind of natural for me to grow up playing baseball in a country that no one knows what it is. Uh, you know, people ask me, what do you do? Oh, you know, growing up, oh, yeah, I play baseball. And they think that's football or, or rugby, and they have no idea what it is out here. Uh, but where I grew up, it was totally natural. Uh, my brother, my older brother played my father played actually 61 years of fast pitch softball. Uh, just retired this past year. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, all my friends that I grew up with on the community all played. So I had some, you know, role models just growing up it went in a time where it was really an isolated thing. No one, like I said, no one knew what it was. Um, and then, you know, grew up on a baseball field pretty much about – 100, 100 meters from my house, would go there in kindergarten. I used to start going over there uh, and just hang out, playing. Uh, by the age of 10, I got to represent Israel for the first time, which is something that's very close to my heart. 
uh, went to uh, Amsterdam, and we finished dead last. Uh, we got crushed every game, but uh, it was very unique opportunity, and um, from there kept uh, representing Israel until uh, until I came to the states in two thousand end of two thousand ten. But up until then, just playing, practicing once a week. Uh, really had never had a real coach until I got to college. Um, so it, it was unique. You know, we had we had Americans come from the States here and there to help develop the game in Israel, and that was huge for us, even if they came for just a week, uh, just trying to pick their brains. And really why I uh, started really loving the game is actually because my grandpa used to live half the year in the States and half the year in Israel. But during playoff time, he used to live in the States. So he would send over boxes of videos when I was a kid. And I started watching baseball like that. And I remember my first uh, World Series that I watched. Again, I'm, I'm watching this three years later. It was uh, in 96. I watched the 93 World Series, Blue Jays against the Phillies. Um, and then uh, 1996 World Series, Yankees, Braves. And that's really how I started really loving the game and and understanding, like, this is something I want to do long term. Um, and, yeah, I mean, after high school, I had to serve in the Army. Um, and the Army uh, gave me a special recognition that they allowed me to still serve but also keep practicing and representing Israel overseas. Um, and then, uh, you know, one thing led to the next, and I found myself in uh, in California at Cypress College playing for Scott Pickler, who, you know, to this day I'm, I'm in touch with. He's like a second father to me, um, really one of my go-to guys in the game. Um, that was an amazing experience. And uh, the funny part was that my first game in the States, you know, no one knew who I was, really. He just took a chance on some Israeli kid. And uh, he put me in game one of the year, and it was one nothing. And I came in the seventh, and I was rolling. And then one pitch, my elbow just popped. First game of the season. And, uh, yeah, it was never the same since. Um, I didn't give up the – you know, the idea of, of playing yet because I thought, you know, I'm in good shape. I'll work hard and I'm in the States now. So people actually know what it is so they can help fix my elbow. So I was, you know, in really good spirits. And, you know, the unfortunate thing that it never really got back to what it should have been. And I lost about six to eight miles an hour. Um, but was still able to play just with pain. We, uh, we ended up winning the junior college championship with Cyprus, which was a hell of a, a ride. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, that led me to UC San Diego. I pitched there for two years. Um, before my junior year, I actually had to get a second surgery on my elbow. And, uh, after that really didn't work out. And the doctor said, I'm, I'm due for a third. I knew that coaching is, is I guess, the path. Um, so I finished my, my playing career, uh, two more years at San Diego. Um, and really towards the, the, la the last season was when I really started loving the, the coaching aspect of it. I used to play catch with all the freshmen, all the, all the pitchers, you know, I just threw 45 feet just nice and easy, and I just got a kick from playing catch with guys and trying to, to help guys out. You know, I was I was grandpa on the team. I was 26 playing my senior year of baseball in college. Yeah, yeah. So uh, once that, that got done, I called the phone. I called uh, Pickler, Scott Pickler, my junior college coach who has been coaching head coach in the Cape for YD Red Sox. And I just gave him a call. I said, hey, Pick, I'm your new uh, pitching coach. And he said, well, all right, come out. And obviously he already had a pitching guy. He already had a pitching guy all lined up, you know, who, because how can he give a kid that just finished playing baseball 
three weeks later be his Cape Cod pitching coach, which, you know, I understood I wanted the foot in the door. Um, so I went there and I was like helping out with the pitchers and little by little, you know, um, got the, the trust of the guys more and more throughout the summer. And, uh, by mid mid summer, Jerry Weinstein called Pickler and asked, asked him if he thinks I could help him out with team Israel, the world baseball classic and be the bullpen coach. And, uh, pick gave his blessings and ended up being the bullpen coach with uh, Team Israel, and we we went on a crazy journey uh, in qualifiers in Brooklyn and and then Korea and Japan, and that really uh, that led to some conversations with Andy McKay and and Depoto, um, and I found myself in the the fall after. Uh, after graduating in spring, that next fall, I was hired by the Mariners. Uh, so that was pretty much the path to coaching. No, I love that. And and as we're as we're recording this uh, last week, I got to interview uh, Hugh Quattlebaum. So uh, uh, this may as well be the Mariners podcast over the last couple of weeks. And, and so that that that's an that really is an interesting journey. And I love I love hearing about that and. Uh, I was going to ask you about Jerry, and I, and I will in a second. But I also, I was going to make this comment of, uh, I guess you got to read Thinking Fast and Slow before every everybody else did, since Daniel Kahneman's from Israel too. So, it, judging how big Israel is, I really don't know. But I, I didn't know if you ever ran into him uh, back in the day, or, or I guess you're 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 probably not that uh, not, not that old, but uh you probably got one of the first copies of of the thinking fast and slow that came out that seems to be matriculating through uh the the minor league coaches offices i guess uh i'll be honest uh, i never never met him uh, uh and never met um never read the book actually um but that's a good one to i guess to pick up yeah and again he he was from uh from israel so um yeah, I I uh, have picked it up several times and and put it back down because it's so heavy. But uh, but interesting story and one of, one of the first really instances of of you know the education system there, which is really really neat. But another thing that uh, that I want to know is, is so you got to coach with Jerry and that, man, you you went from playing to and really you got to play for one of the best you know co- junior college coaches in the country, and then uh, you got to. Uh, coach in a summer league that is the best uh, summer league in the country and then you got to coach in the world baseball classic so you basically are just go and then you got into the mariners minor league system so you are just on cloud nine right now i'm assuming because that is just that's a that's a really cool journey that you've gotten to the blessing to to be on and you've got a, a chance to learn from so many people but uh getting to you know, coach with Jerry and, and team Israel being such a young guy, were there a couple things that, that, that really stood out that you learned and you're like, okay, now that, now I see this from a coaching perspective, this is really cool. Uh, does anything come to mind with that? Uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, I am super blessed. Uh, I think throughout my whole life, really, I've been surrounded by great people, um, who, who challenge me without even knowing they challenge me. Um, and, you know, Jerry's definitely one of them. Um, in the beginning, I, I held a grudge against Jerry. He knows it because I wanted to pitch for the team. And he's coming to say, no, you're not good enough. Come be my bullpen coach. So, you know, he had to get on my good side a little bit there in the beginning. Um, but honestly, um, Jerry was – he was great with me. Um, I really learned, the obviously, the other side. I, I had the summer in the Cape to kind of prepare for being the, the bullpen coach. But that is, that's so much different than the world baseball classic with, you know, scouting reports and, and, and staff meetings and just seeing how prepared Jerry was for everything uh, was something that you know I'll always take with me. And, you know, there, there's a reason why him and, and Scott Pickler and, and those guys are in the, the ABCA hall of fame and, it's such a pleasure for me to to coach under them and just learn from them. And to this day, both of them are super close to me that I can always just pick up a phone call and, you know, 
pick their brands. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That's that's a couple of really really good human beings, and even better, just as good of baseball coaches that you get to be able to do that. So I I think we've all had one or two of those guys in your life, and and or in our lives that really you know pushed us towards the game, and that's really cool that that you're able to do that. Uh, but a, another thing that that I really I want to get to know is let's say you've been coaching a couple years now. Now let's say that you could go back and, and talk to yourself right after your playing career and you could say, Hey, this, these are, these are some of the things that you need to learn now and, and give yourself some advice. You know, what advice would that be? Uh, as a, as a beginning, uh, coaching advice. Right. Yeah. Like you're like what you know now, what you wish you had known your first year. I think how important communication between your staff is. I mean, it's, it's great to have, it's great to have good relationship with the players and that's ultimately the most important thing. But um, when you can have great communication and great relationships with the staff that is surrounded with you, I think um, you're going to learn so much more. Um, And that's definitely something that I've learned, you know, with the Mariners, definitely. such a good organization to be with the minds that are there and, you know, just communicating with them so much is helped me be a better coach, um, which is using the resources that you have. Basically, that would be my best advice. Listen and, you know, try and get to know your staff, just like you get to know your players because you, you never know where you can learn something new. Every day could be something new, uh, especially when you're fortunate enough to surround, be surrounded by such great people that have so much knowledge for the game. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, great advice. I love that. And so uh, let, let's talk about kind of what we're going through now. We've got COVID-19 still, and, and you, I'm assuming, got sent home right during the middle of spring training like all of us did. And... So what I'm trying to do now is really take advantage and learn from different people, from different organizations, from different backgrounds, and and really take advantage of this time that we have. Because right now, as as we're recording this, it's still an unknown on when, not not if in my mind, just when we're going to get uh, get to get back on a field and get started. And so, what are some different things that you've done lately, uh, dug into maybe, or or something that you've you've been trying to use this time to study on? Just kind of what's your what's been your routine as far as learning goes over the last couple of weeks? Um. Well, again, taking advantage of the people around me, uh, their knowledge, and just always keep picking their brains. Um. For me, I've been loving watching a lot of video trying to break down deliveries, having phone calls with our, you know, different staff members with the Mariners, just, you know, saying, Hey, let's, let's do something. Let's, let's break down a picture, you know, teach me, what do you know? And just conversations like that, really digging into how, how the body moves, how the delivery happens. Um, And this is a great time where there's, there's no noise around, right? Like, this is when you could really take advantage of this, these times. So that's something that for me has been the biggest thing right now is really trying to dig into the, the delivery, the, the different things that go into it, right? Different tests that we can, that we have available for us that we can learn about the player better. And, and understand why he moves the way he moves. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's been the majority of my time so far in terms of learning right now. And then have an opportunity to probably start taking the, the Rapsodo certification, uh, which is something I'm looking forward to, um, and see what I can learn from there. But that you know, along with kind of re-listening to some, some books I have on my phone, um, before I go to sleep. And it's just, it's a great time. You know, if, if you don't take advantage of it, it's just like a player, honestly, you know, there's players that with the unknown can just say, ah, I could do it tomorrow. And in the meantime, people are, are leaping you. And 
I, I take that into the coaching as well. I try to. Um, I don't try to, to think that I know it all, and I really take pride in, in um, using the resources that I have, the people I have around me, and just digging into whatever I need to dig in right now. Sure, sure. And we would be, oh, man, We speaking of the season, I think we would be 23 or 24 games in right now, which is crazy. Uh, we were talking, we talked to our players on a conference call a couple times a week, but the last time we talked, we we mentioned that. And it's just, hindsight is so crazy whenever you think about it, right? I mean, uh, you were going to be in double A, correct? Yeah. So, so we would have played each other probably at least, three or four times right now, which, which, I mean, it's just crazy how life works. If you'd have told us we'd be doing this right now, three months ago. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously we would have all thought that, that we were be, we were crazy, but I mean, it sounds like you're taking adva- the best advantage that you can of, of the, the resources and the time that we're given. And, and I'm trying to do the same. And you mentioned that you were listening to a couple of books on your phone. Is there any that you're you really like right now like you're you're digging into right now that you're like oh this is pretty good i'd recommend this one i mean my i think my favorite all-time book in terms of coaching and just developing is the hoops whisper idam ravin who is that's such a good book he's israeli of course you know Uh that's right I, i forgot about that yeah i think that is for me, the the number one book that I've read, that I truly, mm-hmm. truly, you know, I could read it all the time, and it's it's a book that, you know, I've recommended to multiple people, and obviously it was recommended to to me, um, and I think that is for me that's the number one. Uh, I'm in the middle of range uh, on my my audio books, and then. Uh, yeah, you know what? I actually—it's funny you say that because thinking fast and slow, uh, just it popped up on my phone just now. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Our, our both of our governments are listening into this conversation right now. We're so important. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm used to that. But uh, oh, actually, some uh, some books that I I love um, are not baseball related but you can always take it to the baseball. Um, I love reading about army books, about different units and, and their stories. And it's all the same, you know, uh, just the, the hard work that they put in, the preparation that they have to put in, the teamwork that is so vital. Uh, and, and for me, it, it gives me, when I'm in the States so much, it gives me something from home. Um, which is super important for me. And also with this time with, with the Corona, I mean, I, I always say I'm the luckiest man ever. Like it's truly how I feel. Uh, I get, if I'm not in baseball, I get to be around my family and, and that's pretty important to me. Uh, I've gotten to, to babysit my, my nieces and nephews is something I don't get to do. You know, I, I get to see them in the off seasons. Um, so, you know, I'm sure we'll all be looking back at this time and it's going to be a pretty cool time if, if you take a, take a step back and appreciate what you do have during this time. And that's something for sure I'm, I'm very aware of. Right. And the things that, that we took for granted, we, we, we are having to make a no, new normal out of now. And, and that's something that I have to keep reminding myself is, you know, we, we are constantly wanting to go back to our normal, but when we were in our quote unquote normal, we were griping about some different things. So, uh, again, taking a, taking advantage of this time, uh, using it wisely, uh, really having some gratitude and appreciating what we get to do now and, and what we're going to get to do in the near future. And I love that you talk about your, you know, you're one of the luckiest men alive and, and I, I need to take heed in that. And, and I think that uh, obviously that, that does so many good things whenever we're thinking positive thoughts and, and no negative vibes, anything like that. But, um, I mean, we're, we're 25 minutes in, we're talking about life stuff. We're talking about psychology. We're talking about hoops whisper. I love that, but let's go ahead and get into some pitching. And I, I really think that, 
one of the first things that we have to do is we have to get to know our players. And we were talking earlier, and you are super passionate about uh, the Latin kids and getting to know them and speaking their language. And I, I'm right there with you. Like I, I bought a book this week called, <laughs> uh, I think it was called Spanish Professional Spanish for the for baseball. And I got on Amazon, and I'm like, okay, so now I get to actually know uh, the the uh, original of what Kaloke means, or and, and things like that, and so things that I've had to learn on the fly, and it just kind of gives a, a really a neat list of actual baseball terms, not just like uh, you know you have a drink sitting on the table, which I'll never use, but it's really cool. But again, long story short, uh, let's talk about how that how you do that. What's your advice on getting to know players personally and and we'll just kind of roll from there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was uh, I was lucky in 2017 uh, after the draft. Andy McKay sat me down and said, "Hey, I want you to go down to the DR for a little bit." Um, and I went down there, and that trip changed my life. To be honest, um, I got to I got to live in the academy with them for it was a two different trips it was a three-week trip and then a two and a half week trip later in that summer um and at the end of uh that summer the second trip andy uh andy asked me if i would go down and help out in the dominican academy in 2018 the the next year and it was a pretty big shock for me in the beginning um but i just remember andy saying like you're gonna thank me for this and, uh, you know, I went there and I do have to thank Andy and I thanked him many times before because it was an unbelievable experience for me. Um, you know, coming from Israel in a place that it's not poverty like the the Dominican and Latin America, but it, it's very similar in the fact that we don't have the baseball resources that people in the States have. Um, so. Uh, I I connected with those guys right away. Um, started trying to speak Spanish. I mean, I never took Spanish in my life, um, and it was just kind of be, you know, learning on the fly and and being vulnerable to to those guys and not being afraid to make mistakes with the language. Um, and I think doing that kind of stuff and just hanging out with them, playing ping pong, just really getting to know the guys and just making fun of them, them making fun of me. And those times created so deep relationships with those guys um, that I think just are now, you know, we're reaping the fruits from it. Um, So, yeah, I would think you have to get to know the guys uh, just any way you can get to know them, show that you care. Um, and find your own way to to show that you care to get their trust. Uh, for me, it was just hanging out with them and and really trying to speak really bad Spanish, and them just having fun with it and correcting me. And the key was not being afraid to sound dumb, I guess, with my Spanish. Uh, not not being afraid to make mistakes with it, and and I know that the guys appreciate that um, because. When they speak English, I'm sure those thoughts go through their minds. Like, oh, I'm probably not going to sound like I want to sound. But when they know that I I do that all the time, like, it's fine. And you just correct me. And I think it lets them have that, like, take the guard off. Because, you know, it, it's natural to, to just talk to the, the Latin coach, the guy that speaks your language. But... If you want to make it to the big leagues, you're going to all certain types of coaches. Um, so being able to be comfortable with your English is, is huge. And I think that um, me being open to make mistakes with my Spanish and get to learn their language and culture, I think opened up um, you know, something in their minds maybe and just trusting – trusting me and trusting other coaches that, you know, we're here for them. Yeah, definitely. And it's, 
the best way to learn a, a different language, believe me, I've tried every, <laughs> I've tried to Google, uh, every hack that you can possibly get. And it's, it's immersion and it's really just trying to sound stupid and then learning from it. I mean, we can, we can read about it in a book, but until we're having a conversation, it's, it's really hard to do. And, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that, that are right there with you and, and agreeing with you and shaking their head right now, uh, in agreement. but, but yeah, it, it is tough and, and it's something that we all have to get over to because at the end of the day, you're trying to get to know them and you're trying to, you know, be able to communicate in their language, which provides a level of comfortability for them too. And, and you're trying to be vulnerable, which are all, all really good things. And, and so let's, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about some pitching stuff. I mean, you get to work with all kinds of players from all different backgrounds and, and really all ages. And so what are some different commonalities that you, that you see that are, you know, just different problems that, that you're seeing. And so let, let's, let's think about most of our audience is amateur coaches. So either college level or their, uh, or, or lower, um, usually high school coaches as well. And then some youth coaches, but what are some different common problems that you see with either the pitching delivery or mentality, both, we could talk about both as well. But what are some different things that you see that you're like, hey, this is this seems to be something that that we deal with a lot, and how can we help them with that? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think they both tie in, um, and I would say the number one thing for me that I see is guys overthinking, um, getting just too internal with with what they're doing. Um, you know, it could be at the, the high school level, the college level, and also, you know, you see that in pro ball. And there's a lot of traps, a lot of traps in baseball and, and in life, of course. Um, and it's, for me, it's all about learning to kind of see the traps before they happen and and try and help, you know, overcome them. Uh, but for sure, overthinking, you could see it all the time with, with the delivery, with my numbers, what what are my stats saying? What are the scouts saying? What are you know? If I'm trying to get recruited, what are what's everyone thinking about me? And at the end of the day, that's just gonna hurt you. Um, and again, it goes into so many factors. If it's you know with the technology, that could be a trap that you could get overthinking. If um, if you're in high school and, and you know, you're just new new to competing at that kind of level. Oh, am I going to be good enough? Just stuff like that. Like if you're able to, as a coach, assure them that, one, it's okay to struggle. It's okay um, to not know something or, or not be at your best yet. Uh, and assure them that we're all here together and we're going to try and solve things. But if if you're able to create an environment that lets them just be themselves. I think that is a way to overcome that. Um, and there's many ways to for you to do that. You know, if it's, again, getting to know the guys and just knowing different things that might help this guy to, to stop overthinking and try and get them external, athletic, uh, having games with them. You know, anything that gets them just outside of their, their their brains i guess for sure and and uh, apparently for me this is this is something that i've noticed with the mariners guys you, you're apparently talk about external uh, focuses and external goals a lot and uh, I, I talked with q again last week and he met, kept mentioning this stuff over and over of okay uh, ways that, that we get out of our head, we, we think about something external and he, he, we talked about external cues. We talked about external targets. Uh, I, I mean, maybe tell me if I'm, if I'm off here, but is that something that as an organization you guys focus on pretty heavily? Yeah, I think Andy McKay, uh, puts our, our farm director puts a big, big emphasis on that for sure. Um, and it's something that, you know, he talks a lot about and it, to me personally, it makes sense, um, and I know a lot of our coaches are fully bought into that and, and roll with that. I think, you know, the more we can think externally and, and coach by analogies, uh, I think that creates the best version of the guys. 
Um, you know, sometimes you could just tell a guy, hey, how about you throw like that guy? Just in his mind, that might change something, right? Without trying to tell him, oh, your lead hip is doing this and this. How about you try and, and fix it by by doing some mechanical cue? You give them, you coach by analogy, and sometimes that just fix it by himself. So without him overthinking it, it's just, oh, I just got to be more like uh, Jason Arias. Okay, sure. Let me let me try and throw like him. You know, and it's not necessarily a change in the mechanics. It's just a way to create different intent and different thought process that might yield to the results that we want. For sure, for sure. Again, I, I get the, the pleasure of getting to interview some some really good guests. And so I, as, as, uh, the, you guys being the guests are, uh, are talking, I'm usually writing down some different notes just so I can remember it once I hear it and then I can write it down. It, it's something that helps me to just recall on, uh, you know, later. And that was something that, that I kept hearing Q talk about. And obviously Connor Dawson is, is a good, good friend of mine. And as are several different Mariners, uh, in the organization, and so that's that's uh, something that, that kept coming up and coming up and coming up whenever I talked about those guys. And I was like, man, Andy's doing a really good job of drilling in some of the things that are really important to you guys. And and so uh, I wanted to ask about that just to, just to make sure because I has, haven't talked about it to a pitching guy in a while. And so um, so again, with with on the pitching side, uh, most of our amateur coaches you talked about rap soto a little bit but most of them have access to video and if they're going to come and and just sit down and talk shop with you and say alone uh what are you looking for in video like what are some different things that you really like to see uh or, or just any anything as far as the the delivery goes I, I i'm trying to you know phrase some different questions that that most people can use um because they don't all have access to a, a rap soto and we can get into some data here in a bit but what are some different things that you look for in the delivery that you really think it, you know, we could use the term absolute or we could use the term, uh, l- this is what I think most people do, uh, or based on how this person moves, however we want to, want to go about it. But what are some different things that you look for in video that you think are important, uh, that you think most people do, or, or maybe just some biases that you have that you're, you're like, a, you know, for this style or for this picture, I really like this and or different things like that. But, but what, what are you looking for? Uh, if, if you don't have a whole lot of previous information about the player. Yeah, sure. Um, again, I think that it's all a guess. It, it starts with that. It's a guess. It's an educated guess most of the time. But without knowing the player, we got to take it into account that it is our best guess. Um, because we, if we don't know anything about the player, we could just give suggestions that the player might not be able to do. He might not be able to move the way we think he should move. Uh, it's funny you say that because during the time here in Israel, I have a, a kid that um, keeps sending me videos. Um, and he's like, yeah, alone, what do you think about this? And I'm like, to be honest, it's, it's going to be a guest. I'm telling you right now because I don't know how you, you move. I don't know your deficiencies. But I guess the, the first thing I want to look for is, is it fluid? Does it look athletic? Um, I mean, for me, the few things that I really look for is it you know at, at foot strike, where where the arm is. Um, is he able to create disassociation um, between you know his lower half and his his upper half? Um, something that I'm very biased of. I like the I like the slap. I like the recoil. Um, but again, it's that's not something that you can say that is a, a general thing. Some guys, it's really good for, and some guys, it might not be the thing for them. Um, so, I think it's tough without knowing the guys. But you know, I, I like seeing the arm um, around ninety uh, at foot strike. I, I want to see that that glove side, you know getting stable um and then to be honest i'm i'm really digging into all that stuff right now just learning about the hips and again 
um, a shout out to the guys with the Mariners that keep keep helping me with that. Uh, I, I do not have a background in it, um, but what I take pride in again is saying that I don't know and and asking for help. Um, so there's a bunch of guys in the Mariners that are really good with that, and you know I I keep asking them about it, and I feel like I learn myself a new thing every day about about the delivery, but mainly about how important it is to understand your your pitcher that you're looking at, right? What are his deficiencies? But if you don't know anything about him, then then you just got to go with some some basic positions, I guess. Sure. You know, now, whenever you wh- go ahead, whenever you mention. Oh, thanks. Whenever you mentioned efficiency, sorry for cutting you off there, but I was, I was curious, you know, are you talking about from a screening aspect, uh, from a, a velocity aspect, from like a in-game data aspect, all of the above aspect? I mean, what are we, what are we referring to? With efficiency? Like deficiency. So you're saying without like knowing their deficiencies, um, which I thought you did a great, great breakdown on the video side, because I, like you said, we are all guessing on, on some of that stuff. If we haven't, if we don't have the ability to get all of that information, but uh, you mentioned not having the deficiencies a couple of times, like what is your definition of deficiencies? Like, like what specifically uh, are you referring to? Uh, Mainly uh, the, the body, right? If, if I want, if I want a guy to get in a certain position, but he can't, then I could try as much as I want, right? And, and maybe he can get, he can solve that problem with the deficiencies he has, of course, um, like body limitations. And but those deficiencies, you know, if you don't talk to the strength and conditioning guy and you don't talk to the athletic trainer, you're you're going this the wrong way, I think. I think you're blind because those guys know so much about the body, how it moves. They know exactly what they're doing in the weight room, in the training room. And if, if you're out in the dark with all that, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Sure. I'm right there with you. And so, uh, many years ago I had to be the pitching coach and, uh, welcome to high school baseball which sometimes you have to do roles. And so I really tried to, to dig in and, and luckily we had some really good players who, who made my job a whole lot easier. Uh, but one of the things, and this is something that I, that I've wanted to ask is because it, it seems like, like the arm recoil was a thing that used to be frowned upon. And now it is gaining some traction on it's, it's becoming, I don't know if you would call it a teach, but something that, that is not like, something you have to fix, which is, I think, you know, maybe five or six, 10 years ago, it was a thing that, that you tried to coach out of a player. Uh, and, and you mentioned it just a minute ago of something that that's something that you look for that you like, like it's, it's something that it's a bias of yours. Can you tell us why? Because I, you know, it, for the pitching coaches out there that may have the same thoughts, um, because the last maybe year or two, it's becoming more popular on that's okay. Or you see a lot of guys that throw really hard, do that. Can you t- walk us through why you think that is, is a good thing or why you like it? Um, yeah, sure. Um, I think growing up, I used to do it naturally uh, without thinking about it. And I had t- so many coaches tell me to stop doing it. Uh, and I just, even when I tried, I really couldn't. Because if I'm trying to throw hard, that's what happened. You know, it was not a thing that, good or bad, when I had full intent, it just happened for me. Um so I, you know, they said it could be dangerous, uh, but then you know I look at guys throwing when they're under a pressure of time, and I just keep seeing it. You know, if if a guy, uh, if an outfielder takes a ball in the gap and needs to fire it to the cutoff man, good chance that he's gonna recoil. Uh, when a when a shortstop goes in the hole and has no time and just has to throw a bullet. Good chance he's going to recoil. You look at the best catchers, they all recoil. Uh, so the more uh, you see it, the more I've seen it, I say, oh, maybe it is okay that I recoiled. 
Um, and then after my uh, second surgery in uh, San Diego, I was introduced to a guy that is, to me, he's he's a legend, uh, Dom Johnson. Not many people know about him. A lot of pro pitchers know about him in San Diego and, and just in general. Um, and that's the first guy that I ran into that talked about it and loved it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. You know, now I can feel good about doing this. Um, and then I ran with it. Uh, actually, uh, a cool story was I was at um, one of the one of the conventions, and Eugene Bleeker was talking about the recoil. Um, and then it was Pitchapalooza in 2018. And I, I just went up to him after. I said, you don't understand how much I enjoyed that just because of the recoil. And we, we ended up bonding over the recoil um, and we're in touch to this day. And, and something I learned that day was how it's just, it's the natural reaction, the response of the body. Like it's the natural way to decelerate for some people. Um, I got so you. I rolled with that. So, so is it, and maybe this is a, Maybe this is a, an interesting question because, again, I, I don't know. I, I just remember it being a thing of people thought that it was bad for arm health. And so so do you think that by the arm decelerating properly, you're naturally going to have some recoil? Or is it, is, is it again, is, is it based on the, the person's body? Um, I think from the majority of the guys that have good intent behind their throws – will do it naturally. Some guys will do it more excessively than, than others. I think for the most part, uh, you will see it happen. Um, and, and even guys that don't really try and do it, they have some sort of it. Uh, but obviously there's guys that, um, that don't do it and still throw hard and still healthy. Like, uh, Max Scherzer doesn't do it. Uh, it's not a definitely, it's not an absolute, it's not a must teach. Um, it's just something that I found that could help a lot of guys, uh, with the understanding that it's not for everyone. Very cool. Yeah. Again, it's, it's something that's come up and I think Eugene was the first one who I, I saw that and I was like, Oh, okay. It's, it's interesting that, that people are thinking differently about that now. And, um, so let's, if, if you don't mind, and, and again, this is something that you may not be able to di- get into a ton. But we we have a lot of questions on data, and you mentioned Rapsodo earlier. Uh, as far as data goes, you know what what is I don't want to say most important to you, but let, let's talk about Rapsodo because it, it kind of takes away from from maybe the in game TrackMan data uh, that that is special to people in pro ball and and stuff that we keep secret at times. But let's let's talk, maybe we can talk about game planning here in a second if you want to. But what is what is some Rapsodo stuff that that you've gotten into lately that you thought was really interesting or that, uh, that you thought would, you know, would help help either our listeners with their players or, or that you've helped some players with lately. Uh, yeah. I mean, Rapso is a pretty good, good tool, uh, to say the least, right. Uh, though helps us one, understand the pitcher, understand the pitch characteristics for each guy. Um, and then, you know, obviously we're fortunate in the Mariners that we get, you know, pretty much plans coming from the front office, very detailed, and the Rhapsody is a great tool for us to use to, to try and reach some goals. Um, but in the amateur side, I would say that, you know, have a guy throw, see what the characteristics are, and then... <laughs> There's so many, so many ways that you can help a guy with it, and it really depends on what you're trying to work on. You know, if if a guy throws a, a fastball with 100% spin efficiency, um, and you want to get more ride, then you know you can look at at the clock, right, at the spin direction, the spin axis, and then you could just play with that, and it's it's instant feedback. So it really depends what you're trying to work on, you know. Um, you're trying to work on different grips. Uh, if a guy grips a curveball a certain way and you see it 
spinning very inefficiently, you can try a different grip and test it and it gives you right away the the result. You know, if it is more efficient, then maybe obviously it's gonna help you with more break with the right with the right axis, of course. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And then let's say that one of your, one of your pitchers goes and, and he throws, uh, a, a, just a game. I don't know if, if he did well or not, but you're looking over at, uh, post-game reports. What are some, what are some things? And again, give us what you can, but if you can't, we, we completely understand, but what are some things that you're looking at besides like his, you know, his ERA, uh, maybe his whip, but what are some things that you you're looking for, uh, in regards to in-game data that you think, that would be really important to this player uh, because again, the Mariners are, are very process oriented. Uh, And again, another thing that I've picked up, um, what is it? Our people, our process. Is that what you guys say a lot? Yeah. Very, very cool. So, um, so what is kind of some, some different process oriented data or maybe one or two or however many you want to give us uh, that you're looking for either post games or in between starts to, to help the pitcher understand if they did well or not. Um, again, it's about knowing your guy. Um, you have a history with the guy, you know what they're trying to work on, and then you use the data uh, to help validate what you were working on, and it's going to be different for every guy. Some guys, uh, you know, just some guys could be, hey, we're trying to work on more extension, right? So you look into extension, how did you do in that outing? Or it really, again, it depends what they're working on. If um, if a guy wants to see if he got more a break on a curveball, then we look at that, and that's kind of how we measure success based on their process. And each guy has a different process, so success is going to mm-hmm. be measured differently for each guy. Very cool. So you're basically you're taking their strengths, and then you're trying to give them some process data based on those strengths and uh, giving the, you're trying to individualize almost the data for each player. hundred percent. I mean, I think that we all know, you know, we won the game, lost the game. You felt good, didn't feel good, but then there's things that you're personally working on that we can go and check post game using the data and kind of validate, okay, you know what? The results were good today, but we still got some work to do on, on this and that. Uh, or results weren't great today, but look, you got more depth on your curveball today, and that's exactly what we think is going to help you go to the next level. And that's something you've been working on all week. So good job. You know, we'll we'll be okay with with some shortcomings in the in the results, but we're lo- we're looking long term. So if we can use the data to help validate it to the player, so. To me, that's the ideal way to look at post game. I love it. Well, cool. And 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 how much, how big of a, a deal is it whenever you can individualize not only data but but a, an individual plan for every pitcher that you're working with? It gives clarity, and I think that leads to a lot of confidence. Um, leads to a good way to prepare if they know exactly what they should be working on. And again, it's not something we dictate to them. You should be doing this and this. It's all conversation. We want to know what the guy wants to work on. We want to know what he thinks about stuff. We're going to give our two cents uh, and then come up with the best way to go and attack it. So when when you have an individual path for each guy, it, it just simplifies things, makes it clear. And then, you know, it's such an easy way to develop that way because you eliminate so much noise by having your own path, your own goals. Did we hit it? Are we working towards it? And then let the rest just happen, right? It's always process over results. So I think there's a really good tool with all the data to emphasize that. Fantastic. I, I like that answer a lot. And I know that the players appreciate that. So it was kind of a, of a give me answer and, uh, and, and you performed outstanding on, uh, on, on that. And I really like that and, and that it provides clarity for the player too. And, and I know it's more for me, 
it's it's more work up front, but then we don't have to spend time during practice selling it, re-emphasizing it, reminding them exactly what's important, and instead we can focus on just getting them better. So again, it, it's I think it's it's a lot more work up front, but once they own it, you don't have to constantly remind them exactly what it is because it's their plan that you helped shape them with, and and I think. You know, if in whatever setting that we're in, the the more that we can do that, it's it's really hard uh, with some programs because you have like where when I was working at Union, we had, you know, 60 players in the program and it's really hard to do that. But giving them some ownership over doing that, I think, can can help with that a ton. And, and like you said, it provides clarity for the player and, and, and it instantly provides buy in. Uh, but. Um, but I mean, other than that, I, I, I want to, let's talk about teaching something new to a player, because I, I think that this is something that we could all do a better job of. And that's okay. So let's say you have a pitcher and you see either something, let, let's say I'll, I'll give you a situation and then we'll kind of roll with that. So let's say this pitcher's curveball is just, it's garbage, but he loves it. It like has a, a ton of break, but it gets hit a lot and you can see it out of his hand, but his slider is really good, but he doesn't throw it very often, right? And so you're like, hey, little Johnny, your, your slider is really good, but your curveball that you're falling in love with is just, it's, it, you know, we, we call it the French term garbage, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, so how, what would that conversation look like whenever you're trying to convince him, uh, one way or another? And it's probably a little easier to do that than trying to learn a new pitch. Uh, but what's your process like that whenever you're trying to, whenever you've got a good plan for a player and you're approaching them with changing something, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Uh, something that definitely happens a ton during the season, um, even at the highest levels, but uh, this might sound cliche, but I really, really, really believe that if you don't have a good relationship with the guys and you don't know them, then you're going to have a really hard time uh, showing them, selling it to them. Uh, because if you don't have their trust, it doesn't matter what you say, you know. Um, but once you know them, you will know how to approach them. And each guy's going to be different. So, the first thing, and it, this becomes way before the, the change in the pitch or the arsenal, is you must get to know the guy. And that's the almost the prerequisite to the change. Once you know him, then you you go and you present it how, in however form you think that helps the guy most. Right? Uh, I mean, we had a, an example from this past season. We had a guy throwing a lot of two-seamers. Uh, and his forcing was actually much, much better. So with him, it was just an uneasy conversation. Like, hey, you know what? We uh, we believe that your four-seamer could be a really good pitch for you if you just use it more, right? And he's like, oh, I really like my two-seam. And then you have different resources. And for us, we have obviously all the data. And it's such an easy way to be like, hey, okay, let's let's take a look, right? Here, here are the numbers. Here are some videos. And this is why we think you need to make this change. But at the end of the day, you're the boss. You make the decision. But it's my job to try and tell you what we think as an organization is the best for you. And when you have my, like, when you trust us in me delivering this message, hopefully that. You know, you're going to make your decisions knowing that we only want the best for you. So there's so many different ways that you can go about that. It can be a conversation with the hitting coach even, you know, just getting the perspective from from your catchers, from your infielders, watching the different pitches, uh, just having them open their mind to, to realize like, you know, maybe I, I should make this change, but ultimately it's up, it's up to them and we're fortunate at the pro level that we have a ton of different resources to be able to show him why we think it's the best way to do it. So you're really one, you're, you're, you're starting with a relationship and then you're also providing evidence as to 
why. And, and we talked about video guesswork earlier when that's literally the only option, but a lot of our conversations, you, you have so much preceding the conversation that you're hoping that it, that it goes smooth because you have a lot of background evidence and, and just reasoning behind why you think the way that you think. And, and then you also mentioned involving the player in that decision. And man, I, I'm, I'm learning a ton here of just and 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 this is this is stuff that I believe in wholeheartedly too of of uh, making sure that those things happen before we just start changing things because again, like you, with you and the recoil, you've been doing that your whole life, and people had just told you reason or to to not do it, maybe not giving you reasons why you shouldn't, and it was kind of one of those things that that I don't. This is just me reading into it, but it's something that you uh, that you maybe had taken offense to because that may have been part of you and without giving proper evidence as to why. And so I, I think that that's really neat. And I think that that's an awesome, awesome lesson to all of us because guys have been pitching uh, with their delivery for a lot of their life. Uh, they've been taking the swing since they were in T-ball. And so when we try and take away pieces of that without their permission, it's like taking a, a piece of them away and so we, we just need to remember that whenever we we're doing this, because I think most of our coaches, uh, that are listening and myself included, the, the most thing that we want to do is help. And sometimes I think we're, we're maybe a little too quick to jump in and, and do that. And, and I know that, that if you had asked me the question that I asked you earlier about, uh, what, what I had learned as a young coach, and that would be, that would be one of them of just learn to listen, like you mentioned, but also not so quick to jump in on the things that I thought were wrong with, you know, three or four swings in a row. And then I'm saying something almost every swing. And I don't know, I, I don't know alone. Is that something that you've learned along the process as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, and again, it, it goes back to how you deliver the message because I can have all the right info in the world. I can have all the evidence, but if I don't know how to present it to you, then, then I, I lost you from the beginning. So, because we all know that it's not the content content that you speak; it's it's the way you speak. It's it's the way it's like how you say things to to get them to believe that you're in this for them. I I firmly believe that, and and I think you hit the nail on the head. And so, as we're wrapping up, I've got a couple of quick hitters for you. And uh, we talked about some of the things that you're learning lately earlier in the show. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and skip to the next one, which is what's something that you do in training or in practice or in a bullpen that your players love to do? So you show up, you're like, hey, guys, we're doing this today. They love it. What would that be? Uh, I'm going to get made fun of this one, but paddle ball. Uh, it's, it's a game that I brought from Israel. Uh, it's just it's a it's a beach game. I, I think when uh, when we we do it pre-game, we even we even do it for our PFPs. Um, it's just two rackets and just go out, have fun, keep the ball in the air, be athletic. Uh, I think they love it. I think they uh, they understand it keeps them athletic while having some fun, breaking the norm of just the everyday minor league life, right? Um, those would be some stuff. I mean, we sometimes people make fun of it, but that's okay. The guys like it; uh, they enjoy it, and I think there's a lot of benefits to it. But um, some of the other things is just being athletic, just finding ways and competitions and drills to make them just perform like unconsciously. Is that the right word? Just without thinking, just be athletic and just different throwing drills, different, you know, infield drills to help them have fun, but also help them with their throwing too. Because when, when you don't think and you just let yourself be as athletic as you can, you're going to see a lot of good things happen. So I think the, the thing that the pitchers know about me is I'm going to have a lot of fun and I'm going to have a lot of drills that just, promote athleticism. No, that's come up a couple of different times. So I, I love, I love being able to hear that. 
And then let's say that, that we, that we were in season, I wish. And let's say that you were working with, with a pitcher, you know, you've got some time pregame during the day and we came and watched you in a bullpen setting. What do you think that we would notice? Like, what are some things that other people have told you that, that maybe be different or what are some things that you really try and be conscious of in that setting for the player? Like you, you know, yourself, you know, you, you know, the player, but what are, what are a couple of things that you're like, okay, these are the things that, that I would hope come off in the training setting that really, you know, that speak to you, speak to your personality. Uh, I think how engaged I am with those guys. Um, If you just came and watched, you'd probably see me throw with three to four guys a day long toss with the with the bullpen guy every day um and I think that is my way of understanding the pitchers uh, individually and kind of gaining that that personal relationship with each one of them just you're gonna see me playing catch with those guys and you're gonna see me trying to um throw different pitches with their with each guy and then we take that to the bullpen and you're going to see guys being athletic, doing some different drills that you might think are 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 different, I guess, right? Uh, you'd see guys jumping into the rubber and then making a throw. You'd see you'd see catchers setting up differently, just promoting you know some motor learning principles. Um, it's going to be a very loose environment. You're going to see. Uh, whatever resources we have uh, data wise you're gonna see out there and and it depends on the guy some guys you're gonna see peaking every few pitches us digging into the numbers and some sometimes you're gonna see a guy without any of that stuff because he just needs to work on on something completely different than pitch characteristics for example um, so it's gonna be different with each guy again Man, I really, I really like that answer a lot, and and I thought that, wow, you you did a great job of really telling us about yourself and and using your personality and and that setting, and and I'm sure your players love you for it. But I know that we're running a little long on time today, so uh, I know that that our listeners would love to probably try and get in touch with you online, or or if you could have an avenue for us to do so. Uh, but what would be the best place to find you online in case they had any questions for you? Yeah, I mean, I would love that. Um, first of all, feel free, whoever um, wants to get in touch. Uh, always have time for everyone. Uh, I think Twitter could be a, a good way if you DM me over there. Uh, also, my personal email, uh, aloneleishman at gmail.com. Um, pretty much straightforward like that. Um, I'd love to talk to anyone. I love talking baseball. I talk about anything. So, feel free. Perfect. And I will make sure I put those down in the show notes, but, uh, is it before you go, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners? Yeah. I mean, again, I think take this time and, and really make the best out of it because it's a pretty unique time that we'll never see again, hopefully. Um, so if this is a time that you could take a step forward in anything you're doing, it doesn't have to be baseball related do it. I think, uh, you'll, you'll really appreciate it and thank yourself down the road. Other than that, I mean, I had a great time and I really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to ahead of the curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.